Hey folks, let's spend some time with friends up north. Pat Kreitlow of Up North News is on Lake Wissota. Sarah Yacoub with the Monaco Brewing Company Super Pack is on the Mississippi River. And up on Lake Monaco is Kirk Bangstead of the Monaco Brewing Company. Wherever you are, welcome. You're up north. Won't you let me die We don't talk about Bruno, no, no, no. We don't talk about Bruno. Hello and welcome to the Up North Podcast. I'm Kirk Bankstead. And I'm Sarah Yacoub. And I just learned that Kirk has not seemed in co- seen in Kanto. This is a crisis. Sorry, has he seen Kanto? Uh, evidently not. <laughs> Wait, a not seen Wait a minute. And I'm Pat Kreitel. Wait a minute. How, how, is it, how could this be? Do, do no. we need? We don't I, talk about explain Bruno. Explain yourself. Okay, so, okay. So Pat just said, I just said, guys, are we not going to talk about the Gableman investigation in our opening segment? Because we didn't put that in our script today. And then Pat just said, we don't talk about Bruno in the chat. And I just got, because I saw Encanto, but I did not get that reference until Sarah just let me know that that reference was Encanto. And that's hilarious. Okay, okay. okay. Go, but did you hear what I said? I heard that Kirk has never been to Oconto, Oconto <laughs> County. I have no idea you were talking about. This is why live radio probably shouldn't exist. We should just start over, you know, hit the button again. But we can't. We can't. Oconto, right Oconto, obviously. Oconto, Oconto. We don't talk about Bruno. What, what's this? Well, how's the song go, Pat? Are you going to sing it for us? I don't know because I haven't been to Encanto. I've been to Ocanto County. I have not seen Encanto. Wait, why did you? Why you did you write about? We don't talk about Bruno. Then I know the line. I I, I, I get that. <laughs> I get cultural references. I get Wisconsin geography. I just don't get to get my hearing checked very often. Is, is apparently what we've got going here. Oh, no. That's oh. hilarious. Way to go, Sarah. You just completely derailed our opening, our opening Sarah, segment. What, what Sarah did was basically Kirk and I were the 7 and 10 pins, and she knocked both pins down. She took the 7-10 split and took the show down with her in a way that we haven't seen since that time that Kirk accidentally kicked the computer and, and took the radio station off the air. Yeah, that, that was a disaster. There's no doubt about that. That was a full-on disaster. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God, Sarah. What the hell are you doing to us? <laughs> she just asked an innocent question. And oh. we all, all right. feel better now. Um, this would be the time where I talk about what's on the show this week uh, as we try to put the, the cars back on the tracks here. Um, on the show this week, there is finally an alternative to Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce, the big business lobbying group which has basically been our de facto state legislature for the past decade or so. Uh, Also, with war raging in Ukraine, we revisit the history of this conflict as shaped by Ron Johnson and former President Donald Trump. They are far from blameless in this tragedy. And we will talk about how the Wisconsin legislature has gone home for the year. For the year. They get paid the rest of the year, but they're home for the year. Nice scam if you can get it. And um, 
Let's finally, in a minute we have left here before the break, put a nice little check mark next to Wisconsin, getting a presidential visit after the State of the Union speech to uh, talk up infrastructure. This would be the point, Kirk, where I ask if you or Sarah have been over the Blatnick Bridge in Superior, where uh, the president was today, but um, I don't know how we're going to mishear each other. You might think, has he ever had Blatt's beer, not the Blatnick Bridge? <laughs> so, so, Pat, we don't have any time because Sarah derailed this entire segment. But what, <laughs> let me just say that, that, yes, I have been over the bridge. I have been to Duluth and back many times. We live up north. This is kind of what we do. We go to Duluth sometimes because it's fun in Duluth. And there is so much infrastructure there. It makes perfect sense that Biden went there because there's huge everything, huge bridges, huge tanks. And it, it, it's like it, it is an infrastructure like hugeness in Wisconsin hugeness is probably a good way to get out of this segment. When we come back, Sean fed a place from main street Alliance, the new alternative for small business owners who understand that they need to understand how politicians can help or hurt. You're up North. We think. Down on main street. Welcome back to the Up North Podcast. Now for something a little near and dear, small businesses, like the young attorney who hangs up a shingle rather than becoming part of a huge firm, or the local restaurant owner, small manufacturer. We have so many entrepreneurs in this state. But unfortunately, for the past 25 years or so, the only business group that seems to have some clout in Madison is the mega lobbying firm, Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce, WMC. They're not merely a bunch of corporate lobbyists. They're the one of the main movers and shakers in our state politics. They have sunk millions and millions and millions of dollars into these so-called issue ads during elections to boost politicians who would help them with what they like to call taxes and regulations, uh, what I call a shameless effort to force the rest of us to make up the difference when they don't pay their fair share. And regulations are protections for employees, for consumers, for the environment. Sean Fediplace with Main Street Alliance is helping Wisconsin's hometown business leaders understand that what's good for WMC's billionaires is often not what's best for someone with just a handful of employees trying to compete, Kirk, in the corporate shark tank. Yeah. So, Sean, I mean, I've only been in, I mean, I've been back to Wisconsin now uh, since 2013. I grew up here. I didn't know anything about Wisconsin manufacturers and commerce before I started, like, you know, getting more involved in politics. Um, all I knew was that, like, we had a bunch of chambers of commerce uh in wisconsin and you know and they're supposed to help small businesses and i i have a you know i had a brew pub in minocqua and and so like like i didn't know that i mean it, well, i'm not even sure and you have to correct me but i thought like the chamber of commerce is feed into this big lobbying group in madison and that like is that is this true that like small businesses were paying our chamber of commerce's dollars and they're actually feeding Wisconsin manufacturing commerce? If that's the first question, the second question is, what is your organization doing that's different and that's actually helping small businesses in Wisconsin? Well, thanks, Kirk, and thanks, Sarah and Pat for having me on. And uh, enjoy your beer. 
uh, up at Monaco Brewing Company. I buy it all the time here locally and just want to say thanks for the work that you're doing to bring attention to these issues as a small business owner. Um, so uh, WMC, Wisconsin Manufacturers of Commerce Association, is not a business lobby. They are a partisan political lobby that pretends to be advocating for business. Um, it, you can make an argument that they make do advocate for certain businesses, which is very large, polluting manufacturers. That's who they really focus on. As an example, Lacrosse, um, PFAS dumped in the water, French Island. Um, you know, WMC is an example of an organization that doesn't believe that that should be regulated. And, uh, you know, people had to drink literal, um, you know, uh, bottled water to be able to, to not be contaminated by that. Um, you know, it's really a race to the bottom kind of organization that believes it's a bad thing when people's wages go up. They've been complaining a lot about that recently, uh, that believes that there should be no regulation, that there should be no taxes. And they've been, frankly, getting special treatment for a very long time. If you look at the tax code in Wisconsin, uh, manufacturers get overwhelming uh, preferential treatment under the tax code. Um, and so it, frankly, you know, you really have two major organizations in the state that are really destructive on policy. WMC is one of them and the Bradley Foundation is the other. Mm-hmm. And for, um, you know, we came in as an organization in August of 2020. We have uh, over 400 member businesses across the state now, and we're really working to provide an alternative for folks. Um, so if you care about your employees having health care, be able to take paid time off, uh, be able to uh, have childcare for their kids. Uh, if you care about whether or not, you know, we're fighting against monopolies. Um, and if you want to make sure that, you know, small businesses aren't paying a higher percentage in taxes than the very wealthy and large corporations, then we're the kind of organization that you need to get involved in. So we're working to both advocate for the policies that we support, but also provide a clear alternative to groups like WMC. Uh, Sean, there are several examples, but I'll, I'll I'll pick on healthcare, something that's been talked about since long before the Affordable Care Act came in. When a lot of us knew, you know, what what the small business position by and large was, and it was in favor of reforming healthcare, um, even as you know billionaires and huge corporations fought against it because they they got all kinds of tax breaks and things. And the reason is very simple: if you reform healthcare. Um, that's less that that small business owners have to pay, and it levels the playing field uh, rather than, I mean, when you don't do that, then like you said, it's a race to the bottom. Every small business owner has to try to compete with everybody else, um, whereas if you have that level playing field at the policy level, whether it's the legislature or Congress, uh, that helps all small entre- entrepreneurs. Do you feel like that concept... Um, is, is either gaining traction or just, or, or is it still very much an, an uphill fight to, to help uh, our politicians understand the small business priority in some of these policy fights? Yeah, I would say that first off, if you ask any small business owner, healthcare is always going to be the number one or two issue they're going to mention because it does cost a lot of money. They want a healthy workforce. Our members are people who deeply care about their staff and want them to be healthy and happy and be able to, um, you know, take care of themselves. And uh, we haven't taken Badger Care expansion in our state, even though it would ensure 95,000 more people 
and it would bring in $1.6 billion, which we could spend on a whole lot of things. We could spend on roads, bridges, schools, um, you know, basic services. Heck, if the Republicans wanted to use it for a giant tax cut, they could do that if they wanted to. But they have refused to take the money because Scott Walker ran for president for five minutes, flamed out in Iowa, and Speaker Voss, ever since, has um, held the line on this issue purely out of spite and power politics, not because it's actually right for our state. Um, so there's a lot of small business owners all across our state that care deeply about this issue, that are trying very hard to provide group coverage. But if you have 10, 15, 20, 30 employees, it's just not viable to do a group plan for most employers. And so what's the alternative? The alternative is having an exchange, having the marketplace uh, in a way that works, but specifically having a public option that can really work for folks. And so we're thrilled to work with Representative Shelton, uh, who represents the Green Bay area, to introduce a public option bill this last week. And we're gonna fight for it all across the state, in small town halls, in coffee clutches, whatever it takes with members of the legislature to make the case that taking the Badger Care expansion and doing a public option with it is literally one of the most pro small business policies you could possibly do. Um, but you know the politics around this have been challenging for a long time and we're gonna work really hard to alter those politics. So Sean, I mean, I was, I think I was one of your, I don't know if I was one of your early members, but you called me up a year or two ago and you know, I think I said, of course, I want to be a member of your organization. And healthcare, I mean, for for restaurants, it's obvious. Like, we got a problem because we don't make – our margins are terrible. Uh, our, our wages, we can't afford to pay our workers very much. And and it's – in affording a healthcare policy for a, a brew pub like the one I owned and, and for most other restaurant owners throughout the state – it's, it's unimaginable. The expense is unimaginable. I looked into it with my accountant and with like the benefits people that were in, in the Monaco area. And it was like, a, it was crazy. There's no way I could afford it and run a successful business. So the question I have is what percentage of the businesses in Wisconsin are more like the business I had versus the corporations that are represented by Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce? I'm sure you have that statistic. Yeah, there's hundreds of thousands of small businesses all across the state, and there's very few comparatively large manufacturers. I can get you the exact numbers, um, but it's there's there's power numbers, and I think frankly, for a long time, there's been a lot of business organizations, not just WMC, but other groups as well, who've done not who haven't done right by their members. An example of this is that during the spring, there was an attempt to try to take away power from the governor to administer the um, uh, American Rescue Plan funds. And as part of that, they had two separate bills. One was uh, cutting small business grants from 600 million to 200 million. And then they had another bill that would redistribute that money to pay for property tax relief for the very wealthy. So they were literally stealing money from small business owners with grants that they badly needed during the pandemic to finance you know, tax cuts for people like the Ulines and the Hendricks and the billionaires in our state. And so it just goes to show the mindset that a lot of folks have. And so you know, thankfully, you know, there's been a lot of momentum in our work the past year and a half. There's a lot of folks who wanna be involved. There just hasn't been a place for them to go previously that was um, you know, a permanent organization. So you know, I would say if you're a small business owner out there, if you're listening to this, 
go to MainStreetAlliance.org, sign up to become a member. We have lots of upcoming events all across the state. And we're going to really work to build that movement uh, of the hundreds of thousands of small business owners across our state to be able to make the case that, you know, what's best for Main Street isn't race to the bottom, you know, uh, trickle down economics, but rather robust public investments that help to make everybody uh, on a more level playing field. So, Sean, let me ask you this. Um, And as context, as a candidate for state assembly, the WMC spent a small fortune uh, basically assassinating my character. I, along with a a handful of other candidates that were very much pro small business and a a threat to what they stand for. Um, And they were quite ugly and they spent quite a bit of money. Main Street Alliance is on the right side of history. I have to imagine that most of our listeners are on the right side of history on this, that we have the majority of the support, how do we reach voters? How do we overcome the power of those mailers, of those deceptive ads uh, when it comes time for election time? Uh, it seems here in Wisconsin, we don't want to believe that, you know, the uh, faith leader who is po- politicking is lying to us, or we don't want to believe that our friend um, maybe is not being honest or is not as informed as we might think. But how do we reach these voters? given that you are on the right side of history here. Yeah, be on the right side of history isn't, doesn't count for much unless you actually talk to people. Um, and I, I appreciate you saying that, but yeah, I'm a big believer there's no such thing as moral victories. And for us, uh, we have uh, coming up, we actually just had an event with the WDC Chief Operating Officer and with State Representative Francesca Hong talking about state government, how people can navigate it and make sure people had good information about that. We had over 100 people sign up for that event. Uh, We have an event with Congressman Pocan coming up this next month. And then in uh, March and April, we're holding eight what are called Main Street Academies all across the state. Um, And those are going to be opportunities for small business owners to come together with our local leadership to learn how they can effectively navigate, um, uh, advocate and mobilize folks within their small business networks in their own communities. And so the, the best way we can overcome, you know, the billions and you know, millions of dollars that uh, WMC spends on uh, false attack ads is to really build up that people power and really help to mobilize and have a organized effort. So, you know, we've been focusing on having people informed on the state level, federal level, doing these advocacy trainings. And then in May, we're doing May Small Business Month where we're actually bringing in people to DC who are leaders of ours to advocate with their members of Congress. And they're going to be coming back home right after that to work with our hundreds of advocates all across the state, you know, hopefully a thousand by the end of the year to be able to talk with their elected officials back home, talk with the press, talk with the public, and really talk about what's best for Main Street. And so I think the way to really overcome, you know, that sort of money machine that they have is really to really create that people machine and that people power that we really need to be able to talk with our communities and be able to make change. I mean, it really is about just nonstop hustle, which is what you have been doing since you signed on to this. There's never not been, you know, a string of Main Street Alliance activities planned. And I think where that gets us toward wrapping things up here, Sean, is is just, again, changing that mindset of of the entrepreneur who is already stretched eight ways to Sunday. Um, but, and it does not want to have to think about politics, but you know, in the right amount without having it consume your whole life, 
it, it feels like you're getting a message through that these this is one more thing that you do have to care about. You know, there's an example of a member of ours in Milwaukee, Bounce Milwaukee, um, Becky and Ryan own it. They're great people. Uh, during the pandemic, they gave severance to folks when they had to lay them off, um, when they were closed down. They uh, worked really hard to encourage vaccination, but they took huge financial loss uh, as a result of, they were on Southside Milwaukee, running a child's bounce house type of place. They didn't feel like it was responsible to operate that um, prior to the vaccine. And, um, you know, there was a couple different programs that they qualified for, one of which was a grant program that was done by the governor and by the Department of Administration. And they were awarded $200,000 for that grant. When they received that grant amount, they had a negative balance in their checking account. And they did that because it was the right thing. They wanted to protect the community. They wanted to uh, be responsible business owners. And, and, you know, they got help. They got help from, you know, the governor uh, through the rescue plan that was done by the president. And that's an example of, you know, policy matters. Right. Policy matters a whole hell of a lot for small businesses, especially in this time. And it doesn't so, happen by itself. It, it, it takes that kind of um, um, action, that, that advocacy uh, that folks really p- appreciate. So, uh, Sean, Fed Place, thank you again from Main Street Alliance. It was great talking to you and look forward to doing it again soon. Yep. If you want to get involved, go to MainStreetAlliance.org. Thanks, Pat. There you go. When we come back, Ukraine and Ron Johnson, his willingness to be duped into spreading Russian disinformation, helped lead us all into this uh, very dark time in Europe. We will review the timeline after the break. You're up north. Won't you let me die? Welcome, comrade, back to the cabin. This is the Up North <laughs> Podcast. I'm Pat Quaitlow, along with comrade Kirk Bankstead and comrade at Sarah Yacoub. In this segment, we're going to help you understand the role that Senator Ron Johnson played in supporting Donald Trump's work to undermine Ukrainian independence, leading to last week's Russian invasion. Okay, so, so this is kind of why we came up with this segment, right? Like, so this crazy stuff is happening in Ukraine. Uh, Russia has, you know, invaded the Ukraine. And and I was like, wait a second, Ron Johnson, our own Wisconsin state senator, has been talking, has been saying wonderful things about Russia as, as you know, in sort of to back, to help, you know, pump up Donald Trump for a long time. And so... I was like, guys, let's talk about this because I don't think, you know, we're in Wisconsin. This is our senator. And and I don't think there's been enough kind of like discussion about like the history of Ron Johnson, you know, propping up Russia. So so I spent a couple hours uh, yesterday just kind of Googling Ron Johnson and Russia. And I, I came up with this timeline from 2017 to the present. And every year there's a major story by like the New York Times or the Washington Post that says something about how Ron Johnson has said crazy stuff, you know, like has gone against either the 
the intelligence community of America has gone against his own fellow Republican senators or has gone against the mainstream media uh, and, and, is, and has downplayed the effect of Russia on, on our politics or on the world. And the, and so, the funny, the funny thing is, Kirk, is that, and uh, you know, we're, we, we want to start at, you know, say 2017, 2018. Yeah. I, I can actually take this back to 2016, uh, in a couple of different ways. Um, and th now this is pre Ron Johnson, but it does set up the whole what's with Trump and Ukraine thing. And yeah. to do that, I, I have to bring up the fact that from, you know, 2014, 2015 and 2016, I was living in the Cayman islands. And, you know, there's, there, there are things to be said about how, how money moves uh, around Cayman. And I was working at the uh, TV station there at the time as a producer and anchor and thought it was kind of funny watching this uh, Trump campaign. And again, I've, I'd been living overseas for a couple of years now, so I could not understand why Trump was getting such traction. But I thought it was odd that a story had come up that his campaign manager, Paul Manafort, was... Um, having a court dispute with a Russian oligarch about money that had been deposited into a Cayman Islands account. I thought, well, that's curious. And of course, you you know, there's a lot of secrecy there. We never did find a lot of the details of it. But right about that time was the Republican National Convention. Donald Trump was about to be made the Republican nominee, which still sounds to me incredulous to this day. But the one thing that Trump insisted on that got changed in the Republican platform was taking out a plank about supporting weapon sales to Ukraine uh, so that they could fend off a potential Russian invasion. Trump said he didn't want that in there. And of course, we know Trump has investments in there. And, and obviously, Manafort was uh, you know working for Ukraine's previous pro-Russian president before he was overthrown. So there was already history before Ron Johnson came on the scene and uh, Sarah just basically, again, went kind of against the anti-Russia tact that he had before Trump uh, showed up. Right. And so taking this year by year uh, to give our listeners a summary, looking at 2017 <clears throat> in January, after the CIA publicly released a report concluding that Russia had meddled in the presidential election to help Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump, Ron Johnson issued a statement saying he would, quote, need more definitive information before drawing further conclusions. Johnson did not reveal that he had been informed back in September that this was in fact happening. Ron Johnson would go on to complain that, C that the CIA refused to brief him on Russian hacking, saying, quote, I have not seen the evidence that it actually was Russia, while failing to note the CIA's report echoed the briefing he had received from other intelli intelligence leaders, excuse me, in September. I so mean, at, so yes. there you are from the very beginning. Ron Johnson was going along parodying the Donald Trump line of remember whenever Hillary Clinton would bring this up, he'd be like, well, we don't know Russia's hacking. It might be you know, somebody living in his mom's basement who's doing all of this. This was a year after Donald Trump got elected. And 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 I, I think there's a in one of the future years I talk about in these notes that we have, like he's Ron Johnson's the head of like the, the committee that deals with Russia. 
unfortunately, like weirdly, like whatever that committee is, look it up, Pat, while I'm talking. But like, like unfortunately, the committee on Homeland Security, Homeland, the committee on Homeland Security. So like, he's the one that gets the information from the FBI and the CIA and and the NSA and all these guys. And 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 unfortunately, he kept on saying on on mainstream media on Fox News that that he didn't believe the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, that Russia was meddling with our election. No, and in, in fact, to take it a step further, in July, on, on the 4th of July, 2018, Ron Johnson commemorated Independence Day in, in Russia, along with a few other members of Congress, the day after the Senate Intelligence Committee affirmed what the intelligence community had concluded that Russia had interfered in the election to help Donald Trump. Um, but you know, this was, this was somebody in Vladimir Putin who was not only, you know, essentially friendly toward Trump. It was, it was a real bro fest, a real bromance. And yet at the same time, dissidents and reporters were accidentally falling out of windows. I mean, on that same day, it was reported in the UK that, Two more people had been poisoned by a Russian nerve agent uh, that British officials said came from Putin's regime. So, again, we know how bad Putin has been with this Ukraine situation lately. But if you've been following this at all, uh, you know, Ukraine has been, you know, uh, something that Putin's been eyeing up since uh, well before 2014. So let's talk about this. So the Senate Intelligence Committee, which includes all of our, which includes a subsect of our U.S. Senate, admitted had a report that said that Russia had an influence on our on our presidential elections. And Ron Johnson, along with Chuck Grassley, these are the two guys that are like the most pro-Russia in America. Chuck Grassley, I believe, is from Iowa. Iowa. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like we're in Russia having a meal, having a banquet in Russia when our when part of their own body said that that Russia influenced our elections through shady social media paid advertisements through just sub subterfuge it's like you i mean you just reported that but i'm i'm saying it with more emotion that this this is nuts this is freaking <laughs> nuts man it, it, it doesn't it doesn't make sense and the thing is it gets worse. If we fast forward to 2019, uh, in October of that year, uh, Johnson, who's already been making excuses for Russia, has already been making excuses for Trump, uh, meets with a former Ukrainian diplomat and an alleged Russian agent, Andrei Telezenko, who had been passing around unproven claims that it was Ukrainian officials that were assisting Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign. This happened in the weeks just prior to that infamous, beautiful phone call that President Trump had with Ukraine, uh, Ukraine's President uh, Zelensky, in which you know, Trump told Zelensky uh, that, you know, yeah, we've got $400 million in military aid coming to you, but I would like you to do me a favor first and, you know, dig up some dirt, even if you have to make it up on Hunter Biden, the president's son. So Johnson is aware he had been to Ukraine a couple of times before that. Uh, he had met with President Zelensky prior to that. So again, he's not naive to this. He knows what's going on between 
uh, you know, Russia and Ukraine, the tension that's there. Uh, and yet, even knowing what Trump was doing, um, that essentially made him a material witness in the first impeachment trial, the first impeachment trial, which was based on this extortion call where Trump said, I would like to do you, you should do me a favor and dig up dirt on Hunter Biden before we give you this military aid that you so desperately need. Otherwise, Russia will invade you. Well, it gets even better. Johnson was one of the senators <clears throat> who voted to allow then President Trump to withhold this aid if he didn't get the politicking he wanted. So he actually voted to undermine Ukraine's safety as a senator. Let me also add that this, uh, not Zelensky, this other, who's this, what's this other guy's name? This uh, Ukrainian, this Russian Polichenko. agent, Polichenko. They, they, they created this story that, that somehow Ukraine was helping in Hillary Clinton's campaign as opposed to Russia helping Donald Trump. Right. And it's they projection. wanted it, it was well, it's it's what Trump always did. Like if he's doing something completely criminal, he'll say that the opposite party is doing something that this the same level of criminal. So they wanted to create this, they wanted the Ukraine to create the story that Hillary was somehow affecting the presidential elections and that and that Trump wasn't doing anything. And 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 Ron Johnson was given that information and his staff spent five hours with this guy kind of kind of like crafting a story that he could tell to the Washington Post or the New York Times or whatever. That's that's what happened on the 2019. Was was that 2020 or 2019? No, it was 19. Uh, Sarah takes us then to uh, to 2020. So all, August 11th, 2020, Ron Johnson, chair of the Senate's Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, launches an investigation on Joe Biden's son, Hunter, who served on the board of a Ukrainian energy company. Fellow Republican senators, including the previous and current chairs of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Senators Richard Burr and famous little Marco Rubio, have warned Senators Johnson and Chuck Grassley that their Ukraine investigations could actually help the Kremlin, a.k.a. Putin. And this is where something important needs to be said. And and again, with with we know all the heartbreak that Joe Biden has been through. We get that. But this part has got to be said, and I don't think it gets said enough. Hunter Biden is a bit of a problem child. He has not, he has had quite the life, but that is not the same as having some kind of evidence of criminal conduct when he was serving with the board of this Ukrainian energy company, something that has been investigated up and down and sideways. So what you have is Ron Johnson taking advantage of Hunter Biden's bad judgment and bad optics to, again, try to do some of Trump's dirty work to dig up dirt on Hunter Biden to the point where um, Ron Johnson and others were being warned that a lot of these unproven allegations, things that have already been disproven, aren't just coming from some you know tycoon here. This is actual Russian disinformation that Vladimir Putin is a part of to try to make Ukraine look culpable, weak, undeserving of U.S. support. To the point where in May of 2021, the FBI gave Ron Johnson what's called a defensive briefing, warning 
that Russia was peddling false information and that he, Ron Johnson, might be a target. Now, most people, upon hearing this, would say, that is very interesting. Thank you. I will definitely watch what I'm saying. I do not want to be a tool of Russian disinformation. But, Kirk, that is... uh, that is not what Ron Johnson said when he was given that FBI warning. So, I mean, Pat, you led us from 20 to 21, but I've got to go back to 20 when Marco Rubio, like the guy that's probably going to tell the truth 45% of the time at most, told Ron Johnson that he was being used by Russia and he should stop doing what he's doing. Marco Rubio yeah, told what- Ron Johnson he should stop lying And instead, instead, to bring us back to 2021 after that FBI warning, Ron Johnson said, well, I heard it, but I disregarded it because I felt that was just a Democratic attempt to frame me, to get me in trouble. When the FBI, the CIA, the NSA do not work for political parties, like like they don't there. Nobody gets into those. They do this specifically to, to probably not deal with the political parties. These guys are high level. I mean, these guys are spies that are looking out for America and trying to figure out how to undercut other spies from Russia, from China, from North Korea that are trying to screw us. Like they're giving Ron Johnson information that he needs to, to, to decide whether or not he wants to spout craziness and he just flouts them. Well, it's even worse than the craziness. It's decide what team you're on. Are you a patriot? Are you an American? Are you going to continue to be an agent of the Kremlin? And Ron Johnson, time and again, decides to be Putin's puppet, which is astounding. Yeah. I mean, and it's something that, again, throughout the 2020 campaign, Ron Johnson admitted as much in in one uh, interview with uh, conservative radio hosts that his Ukraine Hunter Biden investigation was going to help Donald Trump, you know, in, in his campaign. So again, he admits it. So it shouldn't be a surprise to tie a bow on all of this, that when Russia did invade Ukraine, it was Ron Johnson, who again, in this Alice in Wonderland uh, mode said that it was the Biden administration and Democrats who caused this by impeaching Donald Trump for extorting the president of Ukraine and potentially withholding military aid. So we've now given you the backstory as to why when when you hear Ron Johnson say that it's somebody else's fault, um, there's a lot more behind that than just basic politics. So with that said, uh, we are happy to have uh, uh, brought an end to class. Class is dismissed on Ron Johnson for this hour. We're going to take our final break and wrap up the show in just a moment. Today I don't feel like doing anything. I just want to lay in my bed. Don't feel like picking up my phone. So leave a message at the tone. Cause today I swear I'm not doing anything. Um, so there you go. That's uh, the the uh, soulful stylings of Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, who knew that he could sing like that, uh, talking about not doing anything, which he gets to do now for 
the rest of 2022. But before we get to that, we want to thank our host at Devil Radio 92.7, uh, WAUK 540 AM, the Shaw 101.1 FM, home at the Devil Radio app, where you can listen to the show on demand. On the weekends, catch us at upnorthpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, you can watch us on YouTube and watch all this humor about who watches Encanto and talks about Bruno by uh, searching for Up North Podcast on YouTube. Uh, we're also... <laughs> You can find us on the uh, Facebook page of the Monaco Brewing Company, and you can find the work that I do every day over at upnorthnewswi.com. So, uh, yeah, Kirk, let's talk about the legislature going on vacation. Okay, so, so Pat, like, it's March 2nd yes. today. The it, We've only had two months and two days into the year, and Robin Voss who why is robin voss the head of our state for for one thing i mean governor evers is a governor but i feel like robin voss decides what happens in our state and he's gaveled out the assembly for the rest of the year i i i read a can you do you have francesca hong's tweet i do but i i I will and i will strongly recommend it to people because she uh state assembly rep from the madison area explains all the many things she would rather be doing than being on vacation because of of robin voss because all, all voss has done is he's taken that that fun feeling you get at work on december 23rd or december 30th and you know you're wrapping up your work for the year well the Republicans running in the legislature decided they wanted that feeling on in the first week of March. They're done. They're done for the year. And and now look, somebody's going to say, well, why not? You know, if they believe in small government, blah, blah, blah. Hey, fine. But Wisconsin is one of only 10 states that has a full-time legislature, full-time. They are classified as full-time. They get paid $50,000 a year to work all year. Why do we do that? The reason for a full-time legislature is that uh, is the concern that in states with a part-time legislature, who runs the state when they're not there? The lobbyists, you know, yeah. basically the insiders, the staffers. And so the, the feeling in Wisconsin and setting up a full-time legislature is, hey, we elected you. This should be your job to be working for us, to be either passing bills or Hey, even striking out laws that are that turn out to be bad laws, whatever the case may be. But instead, they are collecting a check to go and going home. The one thing they say they're always against is people who collect a check and then don't do any work for it, Sarah, is the thing that they're doing now. So there's a all different directions we could go with this, but you know, when Shannon Zimmerman ran for his third term, someone asked him why. And he gave this list of things he wanted to do. And in 2020, they also went on vacation for an extended period of time. And it was, well, buddy, do it. Um, but the reality is, you know, people have to quit their job to run for office. And that's not a luxury most working people have. And there's this, uh, there's this glamorous idea that, wow, these representatives are such successful businessmen. I promise you that most of our listeners out there, if we gave you a $50,000 a year allowance, healthcare for you and your family, and said you only have to show up to work for two months out of the year, you too would be free to start a business in Florida and invest in their economy like Mr. Zimmerman has. And so these aren't stellar businessmen. These are people living off of the taxpayer teat while teaching people to hate government. And it's a farce. Um, You want to be paid full-time legislators 
work full time. So I'm going to, I mean, I was thinking this, this whole direction was going to go, what would we want to pass if we had the extra months to go, but I'm not even going to go there. Like I I'm, I'm with you, Sarah, like, like Wisconsin deserves better. These guys took, and Pat, you're going to, you're going to lead us off, but these guys took nine months off during COVID. Now they're mm-hmm. taking 10 months off when, when, when there's so much more to be done. Uh, it's a travesty. We shouldn't pay them $50,000 or else they should do work for us. What do you got, Pat? Exactly. Um, so, and as somebody who's been there, trust me, there's work that can be done. There's work that should be done and it's not going to get done. With that, it's time for us to go. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you, Kirk. Thank you to our guest, Sean Fettaplace. And thank you for joining us at the cabin. Come on back up north next week. One, two,